Space, the final frontier. This is the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. It's mission to explore the solar system, to seek out new observations and data, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now the host of the Observer's Notebook, Tim Robertson. Hello and welcome to episode 161 of the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. My name is Tim Robertson. I'm the host of the podcast and also the coordinator of the training program within the ALPO. Thank you for downloading and listening. The ALPO collects and analyzes observations of, observations of various solar system bodies and associated phenomenon and publishes detailed reports concerning these bodies in its quarterly publication, the Journal of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers, also known as the Strolling Astronomer. This podcast depends upon donations from you, our listeners, to keep it going. If you enjoy what you're hearing in the podcast and you wish to support us, please do so. You can go to Patreon. You can start by giving as little as $1 a month. If you feel even more generous, for $5, you get early access to the podcast before it goes public. For a monthly donation of $10, receive a copy of the Novice Observer's Handbook. And for $35 a month, you receive producer credits on the podcast. You can help us out by going to www.patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, dot com slash Observer's Notebook. If you'd like to join the output, membership begins at only $22 a year. For more information, find us on the internet at www.alpo-astronomy.org. And we're also on Facebook. Just search for ALPO Astronomy. And this here podcast also has a Facebook page as well. Just search for Observer's Notebook. And if you enjoy what you hear in the podcast, please subscribe. That way you'll never miss another episode. And now, here comes the sun with our solar team. Enjoy. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back to this edition of the Observer's Notebook podcast. Today we're talking the sun. And in the ALPO solar section, that only means we're talking to Rick Hill and Kim Hay. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. And Kim, it's your first time here. So why don't you just give everybody a little bit of uh, information about you, your background, things like that. Okay. Uh, I've uh, been observing the sun for over 30 years. Um, I work with the AVSO and I do the sunspot counts and uh, help with the report for that, as well as uh, write the uh, sun uh, section in the RASC Observer's Handbook every year. And I've been doing that for the last 10 years. And I'm also back working with the LPO. Oh, so what got so, you interested in the sun? It's something I could do through the day. Uh, I had a telescope, and uh, I could actually take it with me to work and pop out at lunchtime and observe the sun, because by the time you get home at night, it was either too dark or it was behind the trees. So, Okay. And you're located in, you're located up in Canada, right? Located in a small town called Yarker, which is a bedroom community in Ontario, Canada. And today it's minus four Celsius. It's rather warm and the sun is shining. So I got to see it today. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. All right. And what type of uh, observing equipment do you use? Uh, for my uh, white light count, I use uh, an SCT, 
100 millimeter. Okay. And I have it permanently set up on a pier out in the backyard. And for my uh, digital, I use uh, SolarMax 60 for hydrogen alpha and an 80 millimeter refractor for my white light. Okay, very good. And what brought you to the ALPO? I've been with ALPO for many, many years. And uh, it was the solar section that actually brought me to ALPO. And it was Rick Mm. Hill. He was still in charge of it. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, I started way back. Okay. And Rick, you want to say anything about yourself? Uh, pretty much everybody knows me. I've been around the ALPO since 1975. Mm-hmm. And uh, for my case, it was Walter that brought me in. Ditto. And uh, I started uh, communicating with him in 1965. Oh. And uh, yeah. And uh, remember the back of the uh, Cave Estrola catalogs? They had all those drawings on them, and they had a drawing by Walter Haas. And back in those days, you could just write those addresses, Walter Haas, Las Cruces, New Mexico, and amazingly gets to them. They didn't know zip codes or anything back then. And uh, But uh, the towns have gotten too big, and, well, Walter uh, communicated with me over the years, and then eventually I, I joined after I got married. I got married in '74. Married another astronomer, as you well know. That's Dolores, who's yep. running the meteorite section. Right, and uh, and and uh, pretty much, I started observing the sun. Are you ready for this? Nineteen fifty-seven, May fifteenth. How do you know that? <laughs> uh, a teacher, a substitute teacher, brought a forty-millimeter refractor to school to show us the transit of Mercury. She had the wrong day. She did the UT conversion incorrectly. And so she puts this telescope on the sun and there was the sun and it had spots all over it. And that was something that just never really crossed my mind that the sun could have something on it. Mm-hmm. And from that point on, I got more and more interested until by 1963, I had my own telescope and was observing the sun with one of those little green filters you screw on the eyes. Oh yes. And I did that for I did that for years. For that aperture, it doesn't heat up enough to be a problem. But uh the really safe solar filter back then was um criterion. Um they had that one that that fit on the eyepiece like a uh a Barlow lens and it shoved the uh filter far enough into the the light path so that it wasn't near focus and it was didn't heat up that much oh so it was a much safer filter interesting interesting I, that's how i got started and uh and i do it whenever i can but i i'm limited by all my duties with the solar section and of course right now we've got a large rock gem and mineral fossil show going on in tucson mm-hmm. and i'm very much into that so that drags me away as well <laughs> okay well let's talk about the solar section how's it made up what type of observations do people submit that type of thing we get observations white light h alpha those are the two mainstay observations we get um, we have people that do drawings. We have people that do photography. Uh, we have people that do a hybrid of both. Um, and uh, we also have people that like to put the H-alpha and the white light observations together in one form. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's fine. I love that. I use that. And you'll see in my latest uh, report, which is in 
depending on how it gets edited by the uh, editors. Uh, I should have uh, pictures in there that are white light drawings by uh, Tony Broxton in England. Oh. Uh, he's, he's backing off more on his observations. Uh, uh, he's having some eye problems. And, uh, but um, we have uh, Teske also is doing the hybrid drawings like that of, of white light and H-alpha. Okay. How many contributors do you currently have in the section? The latest report has 20 exactly. Okay. All right. Very good. And there's a lot going on with the sun right now, isn't there? More than there was a year ago. That's right. Yeah. And that's why we're talking. Uh, so give me, give me uh, a little rundown of what, uh, what we're seeing going on in the sun. Uh, we've had uh, a number of naked eye sunspots in the last year. And usually for naked eye, I'm, I'm revising. I used to say 1,000 millions. The millions is the um, way they measure sunspot areas on the sun. And if you want to see a millionth of the sun, when you look at it, you see the granulation. One granule is a, approximately one millionth of the solar disk that's visible. Okay. And so it's really easy to estimate an area that way. But I'm, I'm revising my... Um, uh, uh, maximum of 1,000 millionths being naked eye, um, actually using solar filter in front of your face, um, a naked eye sunspot can be seen down to about 700 millionths. Oh, and my. I've got, got some people would forcibly restrain to claim 500. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So other than, well, so, so what kind of activity are we seeing on the sun right now? Uh, it's pretty quiet. <laughs> yeah, Today this, is pretty quiet. This solar cycle is is shaping up pretty much like the last one. Uh, the last one was a double hump solar cycle, and it was at the same point, about the same level of activity, heading up for the first hump. And if we go into a hump now, if we kind of max out, and then start to go down again, it will be a, a dead ringer for the last uh, uh, solar cycle. Hopefully we'll keep going up and we'll get nice and active, but no guarantees. Okay. Uh, how long is the solar cycle? Oh, the average 11 of 11 years. Yeah. 11 years. 11.1. Right. 11.1 years. Okay. And that's just, is that like a weather cycle on the sun then basically? It's magnetic cycle. Ah, yeah. It's okay. magnetic. Uh, the, the sun is is uh, dominated by its magnetism and um, arguments about what causes that, but um, that's why a solar a sunspot right now in the northern hemisphere, let's just say a leading a sunspots come in two parts, leader and follower. And let's say the leader has one uh, positive magnet, uh, magnetic uh, um, signature and the follower has negative. And in the other hemisphere, it'll be the opposite. Hmm. And then at the changeover to a new solar cycle, they switch. And uh, we're not exactly certain why that happens or how that happens. There's a lot of uh, theories on that. But it, it's fascinating to watch. That's how we can tell. And then somebody like Teo Ramakers is always watching that. He's one of our observers. He used to be assistant coordinator. Right. 
he's always tracking that and puts out magnetograms that he gets from professional observatories and then his observations with it. Hmm. Interesting. So you're getting a wide variety of types of observations to the session. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We don't have, and we used to have, radio. We okay. used to have one fellow who tracked flares by radio, and uh, he, he's who not with that? us. Um, I think he's in the AVSO now. Who is it? Oh, gosh. It's been so many years. Um, no, I can't remember his name right now. That's not <laughs> unusual for me <laughs> to not be able to pull names out of a hat. Yeah. yeah, that's so, interesting. So what? Ta- what only, time- only be. Oh, sorry. I was no, just going to say that's interesting. Only because uh, we here locally at our observatory, we um, have a SID receiver, so we actually catch some of the solar flares, and we have a radio Jove antenna that actually picks up the flares as well. So I tend to look daily at what's happening on the sun and then going back to our graphs to see if we actually caught anything Mm. and then we'll delve into it deeper. But uh, in the AVSO, they actually have this, the SID section, which is the sudden ionospheric disturbances. And uh, so I've been, we've got the same sort of setup for our SID, uh, but I've never been able to get our, uh, to be able to, have our graphs look anything like uh, the radio, uh, like MHU, have it look the same. So I've been really hesitant on actually trying to get our observations put into the AVSO database, only because we've never been able to get them to align. So it's more or less a programming error or a, uh, a shift in what we're hearing or something is going on. Okay. Now, do you get out and observe the sun every day? Every day it's sunny. Yes. I would like to, but (laughs) life throws me curveballs all the time. So I'm not, that's why the last couple of weeks I've been too busy writing the report for the journal of the ALPO. Mm -hmm. And that pulls me away from all observing. Yeah. Your reports are pretty intense in the journal. Uh, A lot of very detailed. Very, very detailed. They're very good. One of my highlights to go through when I review the journal. Kim is now proofreading my reports after I do them and uh, invaluable service. Trust me. <laughs> um, he, he, uh, they wanted my wife to, to, to proofread them. She says, I don't know anything about the sun. Yeah. <laughs> I know meteorites. Yep. And, uh, She's busy with meteorites and uh, the material coming back on OSIRIS-REx from uh, the asteroid Benno. She's in, she's professionally involved with that. Yeah. That's probably when that gets back here and they get analyzing all of that, she'll probably w- retire from her job. Yeah, there you oh, go. That's, that's good. Uh, we actually did some uh, work with the OSIRIS-REx uh, uh we were trying to do the rocks when they were trying to decide where they were going to land and take the take the sample. We were in another group. Kevin and I actually were doing the click on the rocks so that you could count the spots. So mm. we could try they could try to figure out where they were going to land. And actually, the uh, group that Kevin worked with, his spot 
an area where was the one that was picked. So he's like real happy about that. Oh, sure. Some <laughs> of the rocks he, he looked at are actually coming back. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that would so be kind of cool. That is <laughs> yeah. So, so Kim, what's your basic uh, uh, observing practice when you go outside and do solar observing? What do you have a, a process you go through to make your observations yeah. on a daily basis? Yeah, I do. My, my first process of course is to do my white light solar count because I've been doing that for over 30 years and that's my mainstay. And uh, so I <clears throat> uncover the scope, the scope, uh, has its uh, solar filter already on it, its eyepiece with it. I just go ahead, point it at the, point it at the sun. Take my counts, put them on my, on my form here. You know, like oh, that. I can't okay. see it. And uh, I have those, and that's what I actually submit to the AVSO and to the BAA. And uh, then after that go into the observatory, open up the roof, and uh, set up the telescopes to do the white light first with an IR cut filter and uh, the solar filter on the front. And then I'll move over to the hydrogen alpha because I have to wait until, A, the sun is past the tree and up <laughs> over the over the line of the observatory. So I can, you know, over the wall of the observatory. So I have to wait for those two things. I have a tree that d determines when I observe too, and I'm constantly out there with a chainsaw on a pole, knocking branches <laughs> off. <laughs> Dolores doesn't like me to do that. Yeah. Right? No, Kevin has said a few times that you know we can just cut that tree down. I said no, the birds like it. The, yeah. you know exactly. Chipmunks like it. There the squirrels like it. It stays. All right. We can just wait till it goes by. There you go. And when it's higher in the sky, it's better for you. It's not through That's the atmosphere. Right. Well, That's shade's right. a premium here in Tucson in the summer when yeah. it's 100, 110 degrees. Uh, so we're not going to get rid of the tree. Yep. No. I hear you. I hear you. That's good. So what type of equipment do you recommend people use to get started in the solar observing section? I've been, ahead, big, I've been a big advocate of any drag those old telescopes out of the closet. A lot of people have these 2.4 inch refractors, three inch mm -hmm. refractors in the closet. Drag it out. That's a perfect instrument for observing the sun and for doing sunspot counts too. And uh, it, it's uh, get them out of the closet, get limber them up and start using them. I, I think that Dave Teske uh, uses just a 60 millimeter uh, refractor for uh, all his observations in white light, too. And Kim here is using one a lot. Um, the H alphas are 60 millimeters are a common aperture. And I use the 40 millimeter PST to make images of the sun in H alpha. And that's, I've been very successful at catching uh, flares with that. Yeah. I just yeah. got a PST and I haven't played with it much yet, but I will, I will. Oh yeah. And I wish I could get my calcium PST working, mm. but uh, nobody repairs those anymore. And the filters are shot. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Interference filters, especially those early PSTs, they, they had problems with the, Objective lens in the H alpha PST and the filters in the calcium one, and they would just break down. They get spots on them, the spots would spread across the filter. And I've got one of the first PSTs that was uh, calcium ones that was made, 
uh, that was payment. The two PSTs were payment for me writing some of their uh, <laughs> advertising copy when they first start. Coronado was here in Tucson and they right. first started with them. And so that's the the vagaries of uh, having one of the early ones. In fact, I've had to have the objective replaced on the H-Alpha one. Yeah, I, I, I heard that uh, who uh, Orion bought them, right? Because Mead had them. Uh, I thought it was Mead that bought them, but uh, I don't know who's running them now. But well, they're they're not even looking at the calcium PSTs. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wow. You have to have to buy a calcium filter if you want to okay. yeah. do it now. And all right. Yeah. So, is there anything expensive. else you'd like to share with our listeners about uh, the sun or what's going on? Uh, it's, it's a good time to start observing the sun. It's going to get better for the next couple of years. Um, hopefully, we won't have one of those low double maxes and we'll go up to a nice grand maximum. That would be great. And uh, get out there and observe. It's something every day. It's different. It's the most dynamic thing in the solar system. There you go. And uh that's that's why I have a problem with people that say it has no effect on our weather. Oh yeah, turn it off for five minutes and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> oh Rick. All right. Well, Kim, you got anything for us? No, just just to repeat, get out there and observe because it is uh it's it does change every day and you can actually see it in action. And that's that's the best thing of all. I mean, you can look at a, a galaxy and you, you can see the wheels of the galaxy and the arms and everything else. But when you look at the sun, you can actually see spots change every day. True. So it's great. Change minute to minute even. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And you can put in a plug for the AAVSO, I think, here. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> no. Yeah. Oh, well, no, definitely, uh, you know, join uh, join up to the AVSO and, and get a, an observing code. You don't have to be a member, but, of course, they like it. But uh, get a code and uh, submit your accounts be- because it, it helps with the citizen science. It helps with the numbers for uh, understanding the sun. And that's the uh, American Association of Variable Star Observers. Right. Yes. Okay. Well, I want to thank you both for coming on the podcast today. Okay. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having us. All right. Well, that'll do it for this episode of The Observer's Notebook. I again want to thank Kim Hay and Rick Hill from the ALPO Solar Section for coming on the podcast today. Thanks a lot. We upload a new episode of The Observer's Notebook on the 1st and 15th of every month. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. If you do, please give us a rating and a review. I really would appreciate it. You can also listen to us on Apple Radio, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Google Play, Stitcher, Amazon Echo, Spotify, and we're also on our uh, ALPO YouTube channel. You can help support the podcast by donating to it via Patreon, where you can give up to $35 a month where you'll receive one year's membership to the Alpo and producer credits on the podcast. And with that, I want to thank the producers of this podcast, Steve Seedentop and Michael Moyer, for the continued generous support of the Observer's Notebook. The link for Patreon as well as the link for the Alpo is in the show notes. If you'd like to get a hold of me, my email address is cometman at cometman.net or on Twitter at, at observersnbpod. Until next time. 
I hope that you always have clear and steady skies. Thanks for listening.